Pleasant Sabbath to each one of you. It's good to be here one more time for our Daniel Prophecy Series. And I'm just going to set up very quickly here. But we have come down to our final presentation for the Daniel series. Now just out of curiosity, how many of you have been for every single one of the presentations? Raise your hands if you've been here for every single one. All right, that's a pretty good number of you. So hopefully it's been a good learning experience through the book of Daniel. I always learn a thing or two myself when I go through something, even if I've been through it before. So hopefully we've all learned new things and hopefully we're in for a blessing one more time today. So while we are waiting for this to get started, why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your blessings to us and we pray that you would be with us in this service today. I pray that you would speak through me and that we would gain a a special understanding of Daniel chapter 12 that will prepare us for the last days. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. There we are. So Daniel chapter 12, the final chapter in the book of Daniel. It's the shortest chapter. It's only 13 verses, but it's really just a completion of the final vision and a summary of some of the key points. Now, before we go through the verses, I'm just going to point out a couple of key things when we look at the big picture of the book of Daniel. What we have seen is that there are four key visions to this book that outline the kingdoms of this world before Jesus comes. In Daniel 2, you have the image with the head of gold and so forth. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, in its pagan phase and its papal phase, and divided Europe. Daniel 7, you have the beasts, starting with the lion. Daniel 8, you have the sanctuary beasts, the ram and the he-goat. And then in Daniel 11, you have literal kings described. Now, what's interesting when you look at those four visions is that at the end of Daniel chapter 2, the stone strikes the image, and that represents the coming of Christ, and he sets up his kingdom. That's Daniel 2. So at the end of Daniel 2, we have the second coming of Jesus in the clouds. Then in Daniel 7, after the kingdoms have come and gone, we see the judgment scene in heaven. And then in Daniel chapter 8, after the kingdoms of this world, we see the cleansing of the sanctuary. And then in Daniel chapter 11, which we saw last night, after the end of the kingdoms, we see Michael standing up, who is Christ, and that represents the close of probation. So I want you to think about this very carefully. The first vision and the last vision, the last thing you see relates to the second coming and the close of probation, the first and the fourth vision. In the second and the third visions of Daniel 7 and Daniel 8, what you see is the beginning of the judgment and the cleansing of the sanctuary in 1844. And what that tells you when you look at the big picture of Daniel, because the name Daniel means God is my judge, and so the book is a book about judgment, what these visions are telling you is that the most important period in the history of the earth is from 18. 1844 to the coming of Jesus Christ. And that is the time that we are living in right now. So when you study the book of Daniel, you see identified the period in history that is the most important period of time. And we who are alive today have the privilege of being alive at that very time. And when we understand that we are living in the judgment hour, that we are living in the time when the sanctuary in heaven is to be cleansed, we see that we have an awesome responsibility that God has entrusted us with. So in a nutshell, that's the big picture of Daniel. What we were 
studying last night, we studied the last five verses of Daniel 11, and what we saw is that in verse 40, the king of the south, which is spiritual Egypt at the end of time, as described in Revelation 11, gives a deadly wound to the king of the north, who is papal Rome. Spiritual Egypt was France, and that was in 1798. And then we see the comeback of the king of the north through the last five verses, where they... The king of the north enters into the glorious land. We saw that that most likely represents God's last day church in its pre-shaken state, if you will, before it, the wheat and the tares have been separated out. And as the king of the north enters in, many go out, but we saw that people will come in from Edom, Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon, just as we see that people will come out of Babylon into the remnant church when the loud cry goes out. And then we saw that as the loud cry goes out, papal Rome, the king of the north, will go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. This is the death decree. He's going out to destroy and he sets up the final union of church and state, the death decree saying that you have to worship the way he dictates or you will die. And we saw in Daniel chapter 12 verse 1, that is when probation closes. The other key thing that we've seen in Daniel 11 is that the very next thing to happen in the prophecy of Daniel 11 is for the king of the north to enter into the glorious land, which represents the setting up of the Sunday law, which tells us that we could be very close to the final events because once verse 41 starts in prophetic history, the final events are going to be very rapid. So... Let's move on now and look more carefully at Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, I've entitled this message, The Wise Shall Understand. And the first quote I'm going to read is from The Great Controversy, page 613, where Ellen White quotes Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, which is the first verse of this chapter. So we will read Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, which says, At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. So here we see Michael stands up when probation closes. And then this, notice what Ellen White says in relation to this verse. When the third angel's message closes, mercy no longer pleads for the guilty inhabitants of the earth. The people of God have accomplished their work. They have received the latter rain, the refreshing from the presence of the Lord, and they are prepared for the trying hour before them. Angels are hastening to and fro in heaven. An angel returning from the earth announces that his work is done. The final test has been brought upon the world, and all who have proved themselves loyal to the divine precepts have received the seal of the living God. Continuing on, she says, Then Jesus ceases his intercession in the sanctuary above. He lifts his hands and with a loud voice says, It is done. And all the angelic hosts lay off their crowns as he makes the solemn announcement, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. See, if you read that quote very carefully, that shows that there's really only one close of probation. It closes at the same time. Every case has been decided for life or death. Christ has made the atonement for his people and blotted out their sins. So we see when Michael stands up, the intercession in the sanctuary above will come to an end. Christ will declare if you were righteous or not, and every case will have been decided. Now, again, when you look at the scope of prophetic history, we may not be very far away from that time. Because the next thing to happen will be verse 41, and that takes you to verse 42, 43, 44, and 45, which I believe will happen very rapidly. And then Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, when probation closes, will take place. Now, what we see, and some of this may seem a little bit scary when we are like, wow, there's going to be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. But notice, we see that Michael stands for the children of Daniel's people. In other words, Michael is standing for the people of God. 
Christ is standing on our behalf. So yes, a time of trouble that is worse than anything that has ever come will take place. But remember, Michael will be standing on our behalf. So we shouldn't be so afraid when we know that Michael will be standing on our behalf. Amen. So we see this refers to the close of probation. Now, I want to take you again very quickly because I mentioned this last night, but I think this is very important to understand. When Michael stands up, he is standing up obviously from a seated position. And if you know what he is doing while he is seated, you will know just what kind of work that he has finished. Does that make sense? So he's doing a work while he's seated, but when he stands up, that means that work would be finished, right? So let's see what work he was doing while he was seated. We talked about this last night. When you study scripture, specifically if you go to the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set down on the right hand of the throne in the majesty of the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. So in Hebrews 8, we are told that Jesus is our high priest seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then Hebrews 8 verse 6 tells us that Jesus as our high priest is the mediator of a new covenant, a better covenant. And then verses 9 through 12 tell us that what Jesus is doing as our high priest, as the mediator of a better covenant, he is working to write his law into our hearts and minds. And he is working to blot out our sins because it says, and your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. That refers to the blotting out of sin in the heavenly sanctuary. When the new covenant has reached its completion, Jesus will have blotted out the sins of his people. So when Christ finishes this work, he will have a commandment keeping people because he has written his law into our hearts and minds. Do you see that? The new covenant, Christ writes his law into our hearts and minds. And while he is seated, that's the key point, while he is seated at the right hand of God, he is working to write his law into our hearts and minds so that he can also blot out our sins. And if you remember, the law of God is a transcript of the character of God because Romans 7 tells us that God's law is holy and just and good. And those are all characteristics of God. So that's one thing. Now let's continue. Jesus is not only our high priest at the right hand of God, he is also the author and finisher of our faith seated at the right hand of God. Because remember, Hebrews 12 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is what? Set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus is our high priest seated on the right hand of the throne of God, working to write his law into our hearts and minds so that he will have a commandment keeping people. But he's also the author and finisher of our faith because he needs to help us as a people run with patience the race that is set before us. And if Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, he will begin our faith and he will help us to go all the way through by, as we keep our eyes on him. And when we finish that race, we will have had the same faith that Jesus had, the faith of Jesus. So we will run this race with patience. And when we exercise faith, we will exercise the faith of Jesus. When Christ finishes this work, he will have people with patience and the faith of Jesus. So in other words, Jesus at the right hand of God as our high priest and as the author and finisher of our faith is working to develop a commandment-keeping people by writing his law and our hearts and minds. He's helping us to run the race of faith with patience set before us so that we will have patience in the faith of Jesus. And it just so happens that this is the group known as the 144,000 described in Revelation 14, 12, where it says, here is the patience of the saints. 
Here they keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They are the people who are produced by the three angels' messages. And so Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, working to develop this group of people known as the 144,000 who will keep the commandments of God, have the patience of the saints, and the faith of Jesus. But you know what? He's not going to stay seated forever doing this work. When he stands up, that means that that work has been completed. That means Revelation 14, 12 will be a reality. That there will be a group of people who keep the commandments of God, have the patience of the saints, and the faith of Jesus. Amen? So, one other thing. What is the significance of Michael in Scripture? Because why doesn't it just say Jesus stood up? Why does it say Michael stood up? Well, if you look at the term Michael, which means who is like God, whenever we see it in Scripture, it's very interesting. We see it three times in the book of Daniel. We saw it in this vision of Daniel 10 to 12 three times. Daniel 10 verse 13, where Michael had to come and settle the conflict with the king of Persia. He's mentioned again in the same chapter in verse 21. We see him again in Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 at the end of the vision when he stands up at the close of probation. We also see Michael in Jude verse 9 where Christ or Michael is contending with Satan over the body of Moses. And finally, we see him in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, which says there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. Now, if you notice very carefully in each of these situations, this is describing a cosmic conflict between Christ and Satan. Each time Michael shows up in Scripture, it's not just to give Jesus a nice, interesting name. It's giving us a specific idea of what role Christ is involved in at that very moment in the history of the cosmos. In Revelation 12, 7, it shows the great controversy, the conflict between Christ and Satan, the war in heaven. And in Daniel 10, at the beginning of the vision, if you remember, Satan did not want this vision to be released because he knew that it would give information that would take us down to the very end of time. But in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, when Michael stands up, that gives us the idea that his, that he has gained a final victory. There has been a conflict, and when he stands up, and as probation closes, Michael is saying, it is done. The battle is over. The controversy between Christ and Satan. I have gained a key victory in this conflict because I have a group of people that I said I would develop from my second advent movement. The people who keep the commandments of God have the patience of the saints and the faith of Jesus. And you know what, Satan? You were a perfect being in a perfect environment in heaven and you sinned. And yet I flipped the great controversy around and I took people from the weakest generation that have ever lived and I have turned them into a group of people who are just like Jesus. Do you have any questions now about whether or not God's law can be kept? The controversy is over. I'm standing up. Probation is closed. I am coming to take my people home. That is the significance of Michael standing up. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Yes, there has been the death decree. Yes, papal Rome is saying, we will put to death those who worship God the way he says so. And God allows them to make that decree because he knows he has a group of people who will be able to withstand that test. And so when Michael stands up, he stands for the children of thy people. You know, I hope and pray that I will be among the ones that Michael stands up for. Amen. I want to be alive when Michael stands up for the children of thy people. And it says, there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. And at, thy t at that time, thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. And I want to mention this 
briefly here. You know, some people have said when you look at the book of Daniel and it speaks about the judgment, it's always speaking about the judgment of God's enemies. But here's an interesting point. When Michael stands up, he stands up for the people who are found written in the book. That means there had to have been a process of an investigation to determine who are God's people when probation closes. So here you can show, even from the book of Daniel, that yes, the judgment does relate to the people of God. Now let's talk a little bit about the time of trouble. It's not always talked about, but I think it's important in the context of Daniel chapter 12 to make mention of this. Ellen White has some statements. This is Great Controversy, page 621. The season of distress and anguish before us will require a faith that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger. You know, that sounds like patience to me. You have to have patience to be able to endure weariness, delay, and hunger. She continues, a faith that will not faint though severely tried. The period of probation is granted to all to prepare for that time. So you know what? Right now is the time to prepare. When the Lord allows us to pass through trials, those are things that are preparing us to pass through the final conflict. So we should praise the Lord for our trials. Jacob prepared, prevailed because he was persevering and determined. His victory is an evidence of the power of importunate prayer. All who will lay hold of God's promises as he did and be as earnest and persevering as he was will succeed as he succeeded. Amen? But we need to learn to pray and to exercise faith the way Jacob did. This is called Jacob's time of trouble. We need to learn to trust in God, even if it seems that circumstances that are surrounding us are humanly impossible. But God will deliver us if we will trust in him. And sometimes the way he delivers us, humanly speaking, may not make sense. But that's why we just keep trusting him. Continuing. Great Controversy, pages 622, 623. The time of trouble, such as never was, is soon to open upon us, and we shall need an experience which we do not now possess and which many are too indolent or lazy to obtain. It is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality, but this is not true of the crisis before us. You know, that always, I think... It makes people scared when they read the statement, but it's a true statement. But remember, Michael will be standing on our behalf, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it's going to be a greater trouble than we can even anticipate. The most vivid presentation cannot reach the magnitude of the ordeal. In that time of trial, every soul must stand for himself before God. Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in the land, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. You know, if your spouse or your parent or whoever is following God all the way, their righteousness is not going to save you in the judgment. You need to have an experience with God for yourself. Continuing, Great Controversy, page 623. And this is a very important statement. Now, while our great high priest is making the atonement for us, we should seek to become perfect in Christ. Not even by a thought could our Savior be brought to yield to the power of temptation. Satan finds in human hearts some point where he can gain a foothold. Some sinful desire is cherished by means of which his temptations assert their power. But Christ declared of himself, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. And we'll say, well, yeah, that was Jesus. You know, he, he was perfect. He was, he was God. And, you know, I just keep falling to these temptations that Satan throws my way. But notice what she continues by saying. Satan could find nothing in the Son of God that would enable him to gain the victory. He had kept his father's commandments and there was no sin in him that Satan could use to his advantage. And here's the key statement. This is the condition in which those must be found who shall stand in the time of trouble. Now here's, here's a key point. This is not something that any one of us are going to be able to do in our own strength and in our own power. We will need all of the strength of Michael, 
our high priest, Jesus Christ, all the power of heaven. But through faith, all the power of heaven is at our disposal. We need to learn to exercise the faith of Jacob. And you realize that Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Jacob's name meant supplanter, but his name was changed to Israel, which means overcomer. Jacob wrestled with the angel who was Christ himself, and he prevailed. And if we, by faith, will learn to trust in God and allow the trials of life to refine us, we can overcome as Jacob overcame when we pass through Jacob's time of trouble. Fortunately, when the time of trouble comes, we see the promise in Daniel 12, verse 1, And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Humanly speaking, it looks when the death decree is declared that there is no way out. They know where we are. They've scoped us out. We're surrounded. There's going to be no way out. And yet we will see deliverance. Great Controversy, pages 635, 636. The people of God, some in prison cells, some hidden in solitary retreats in the forests and the mountains, still plead for divine protection. While in every quarter, companies of armed men, urged on by hosts of evil angels, are preparing for the work of death. It is now, in the hour of utmost extremity, that the God of Israel will interpose for the deliverance of his chosen. With shouts of triumph, jeering, and imprecation, throngs of evil men are about to rush upon their prey when, lo, a dense blackness deeper than the darkest darkness of the night falls upon the earth. Then a rainbow shining with the glory from the throne of God spans the heavens and seems to encircle each praying company. The angry multitudes are suddenly arrested. Their mocking cries die away. The objects of their murderous rage are forgotten. With fearful forebodings, they gave upon the symbol of God's covenant and long to be shielded from its overpowering brightness. So you see that just when it appears that God's people are about to be put away, all of a sudden divine intervention will take place and suddenly the wicked will realize, oh no, we're on the wrong side. We thought that we were following the Christian majority that was all wandering after the beast. And we thought that we were going to be on the right side. But oh, this small little company, they're actually the righteous saints. And we want to be among the righteous saints who realize at that moment, God has delivered us. We are safe. Michael has stood on our behalf and we are delivered. We are going to the heavenly kingdom. And she continues, verse 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So verse 2 is speaking of a resurrection that takes place right around the time that God's people are delivered. And Ellen White refers to this as a special resurrection. This is Great Controversy, page 637. Graves are opened, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. She continues, all who have died in the faith of the third angel's message come forth from the tomb glorified to hear God's covenant of peace with those who have kept his law. You know, I am so thankful for this promise. Because if you have been a faithful worker for God in the time of the third angel's message, which began in 1844, God is going to do something special for you. He is going to raise you up so that you will be alive to see Jesus come in the clouds rather than being called forth from the grave with all those who have ever lived from the very beginning of time. You will actually get to see what you preached about and lived for and fought for your entire life. And that has special meaning for me. My father passed away eight years ago at the young age of 63. And we look forward to the time. He was someone who died in the faith of the third angel's message. I look forward to that day when he comes forth. But it's not only going to be the righteous who have died in the faith of the third angel's message. Those are the ones who come forth to everlasting life. There are also those who come to some who will come to shame and everlasting contempt. She continues. 
They also which pierced him, Revelation 1-7, those that mocked and derided Christ's dying agonies and the most violent opposers of his truth and his people are raised to behold him in his glory and to see the honor placed upon the loyal and obedient. So the fiercest opposers of Christ will be resurrected to see Jesus come in the clouds of heaven. So this is a special resurrection that takes place before the general resurrection of the second coming. Now, let's continue. Verse 3, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now, who do you think the wise are in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, who shine as the brightness of the firmament and turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever? These are saints who shine like the brightness of the firmament and they will shine like the stars forever and ever. Who do you think this could be referring to in Daniel chapter 12 verse 3? This is a direct continuation of what happened in Daniel chapter 11. I believe this is referring to the saints who participated in the giving of the loud cry message of Revelation 18.1. It's also mentioned in Daniel 11.44, where an angel comes down from heaven having great power, and the earth was lightened or illuminated with its glory. And so they shine as the brightness of the firmament because through the power and grace of God, they are a demonstration of the life of Christ and of the message of the righteousness of Christ as they share the final message to the world and they call people out of Babylon and because they were wise because they understood the book of Daniel and of the message that pointed to the judgment and the cleansing of the sanctuary and of the coming of Jesus and of the close of probation and because they proclaimed the last day message God says they will shine as the brightness of the firmament. And because they turn many to righteousness and they call people out of Babylon into God's last day church, they will shine as the stars forever and ever. And do you realize that it is God's design for each one of you to be among that group of people? God wants you to be wise. He wants you to shine as the brightness of the firmament. He wants you to turn many to righteousness and shine as the stars forever and ever. Continuing, let's go to verse 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. So Daniel is told to shut up the words and seal the book to the time of the end. Now this is interesting. We talked about the time of the end. Daniel 11, verses 33 through 35, which is part of the same vision that we're still in here. Daniel 11 verses 33 through 35 show that the persecution of the saints would take place till the time of the end. And Daniel 7.25 shows that the persecution would occur for the 1260 years. So we see that the time of the end would begin in 1798, which means that this book of Daniel was sealed till the time of the end. But knowledge would increase of the book of Daniel after that. Now, you know, sometimes people talk about the increase in scientific knowledge, and I think that's part of the meaning of this, but the immediate context is that the knowledge of the prophecy of this book would increase after the book is unsealed at the time of the end. You know, the other thing to mention is that in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel in verse 26 is told to shut up the words because the vision of Daniel 8 is for many days. And in verse 17 of Daniel chapter 8, he's told that the vision of Daniel 8 is for the time of the end. So one other key point when it says shut up the words and seal the vision till the time of the end. It suggests that one of the key elements of the book of Daniel that is being sealed till the time of the end is the knowledge of the 2300-day prophecy because it is for that time. Now let's read verses 5 through 7. Now once we get to verse 5, this becomes the explanation portion of the vision. Just as in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel explained to Nebuchadnezzar, these were the metals... And then he says, now I will make known to you the interpretation. 
Daniel chapter 7, you go through the first 14 verses. It takes you through the kingdoms of this earth down through the judgment. And then Daniel asks the heavenly being, hey, what did this mean? They give him a short answer and he says, no, tell me more about the fourth beast. Then in Daniel chapter 8, you get through, again, the first 14 verses. And then Gabriel is told to help Daniel understand the vision. So when we come to the end of Daniel chapter 11 and get into Daniel chapter 12, it would only make sense that heavenly beings would give Daniel a further understanding of the vision again. Does that make sense? Because see, what some people do is they try to just continue reading Daniel 12 straight through and then make futuristic applications and say that the prophecies at the end of Daniel 12 are literal day prophecies as opposed to year prophecies, and they get all confused. But if you understand that Daniel 12 was just explaining the vision of Daniel 11, you don't need to become confused by futurism. So let's continue. Daniel 12, 5 through 7. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, that it shall be for a time, times and a half, and when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. So what do we see? In verse 5, Daniel sees two heavenly beings standing on opposite banks of the Hittakel River, which is the river that he was at when the vision began in Daniel chapter 10. These heavenly beings will summarize the key points of the vision they want Daniel to consider. Then you see a man clothed in linen, and he is asked, how long is it till the end of these wonders? This man clothed in linen is Jesus, because it, in Daniel 10, verses 5 and 6, we saw a man clothed in linen, and he also had feet of grass, the, a voice with the sound of many waters, and it's the exact same characteristics of Jesus Christ in Revelation 1, verses 13 through 15. So as I mentioned in Daniel 10, Jesus himself showed up to to give the last vision to Daniel because it was such an important vision. So notice what Jesus says in response to how long it will be to the end of these wonders. First of all, he raises up his right hand and left hand to heaven and says he swear by him that lives forever and ever. Now when you come to Hebrews chapter 6, it talks about how because Christ could swear by no greater, he swear by himself or God because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. When you swear by an oath, you swear by a power that is higher than you, but God, there's no power higher than him. So Jesus, he raises both hands to heaven and he swears by himself. So if Christ is swearing by an oath, this must be of utmost importance. And what he is saying as far as how long it will be to the end of the wonders is the time, times and a half. That's the 1260 years that we've talked about. And it's during that time we see that when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. Now remember, this is an explanation of the vision of Daniel 11, and we saw that there would be persecution of the saints for many days in verses 33 through 35 of Daniel 11. Now, Christ is saying it's going to be 1260 years that the holy people are scattered or persecuted. So, Christ is giving further information about the period of persecution, and it lines up nicely with Daniel 7:25 and the 1260 years that the saints would be worn out. So Jesus swears by lifting up both hands to heaven that it will be 1260 years that God's people will be persecuted. So, here's another interesting connection. When you come to Revelation chapter 10, you see a heavenly being that looks very similar to the man clothed in linen in Daniel chapter 12. And in fact, when you come to Revelation 10, and I invite you to turn there, we're going to look at a few key points. Revelation chapter 10, starting in verse 1, it says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as, as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open. 
and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. And then you see him cry with a loud voice. And notice what verse 6 says. And he says, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever. Didn't we just see that in Daniel chapter 12 where the man clothed in linen raises both hands to heaven and he swears by him who lives forever and ever? Here you see the mighty angel swear by him who lives forever and ever. And this mighty angel has come down from heaven and he has a little book open in his hand. Because you see, in Daniel chapter 12, we were told that the book of Daniel would be sealed till the time of the end. And so now Jesus, he tells Daniel, seal the book till the time of the end. But once the time of the end has arrived, Jesus comes back down from heaven and he says, the book of Daniel has been opened. It is unsealed. And specifically, he is saying, he is connecting the sealed book of Daniel to the work that is taking place in Revelation chapter 10. He's saying, when you study the unsealed book of Daniel, it is going to raise up a movement, a group of people who will be raised up by God to do the finishing work here on this earth. The holy people will be scattered for 1260 years but once they have been scattered after 1798 after the time of the end I am going to gather them back up through the understanding through the unsealing of this book of Daniel specifically in Daniel chapter 12 in verses 9 and 10 it says the wicked shall do wickedly and the but and shall not understand but the wise shall understand and it says many shall be made white and purified and tried. This shows that those who study the book of Daniel will go through a process of purification. They will be made white or receive the righteousness of Christ and they will be tried. They will develop the patience of the saints. Now, when you go back to Revelation chapter 10, when Jesus swears by an oath, he swore by him, verse 6, he swore by him that liveth forever and ever, who created in heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. Now, the part of the book of Daniel that was unsealed, that pointed to no more time, refers to the longest time prophecy, the 2,300 day prophecy. Because when Jesus comes down from heaven as the mighty angel, it's between the sixth and the seventh trumpets. And the sixth trumpet of Revelation 9 ended on August 11, 1840. Ellen White corroborates that in Great Controversy, page 334. So in 1840, Jesus comes down and he's announcing it's been 42 years that this book has been open to be understood. It is unsealed. It's time to follow me all the way to heaven. Daniel has been unsealed and there is a time prophecy that is not far distant from now to be fulfilled. That's the 2300 days after it is fulfilled. There will be no more prophetic time. It's fulfilled in 1844. Now, when you study Revelation 10 carefully, you come to the great disappointment of the early Advent movement. The message of the Advent movement was sweet in their mouth, but it was bitter in their belly. But then they were told they must prophesy again. Now, here's what I want you to get from this. Revelation chapter 10 describes Jesus as the mighty angel coming down from heaven to raise up a movement based on the unsealed prophecy of the book of Daniel and the movement that he would raise up, the second advent movement would be the movement that he would raise up to prepare a people for his second coming, which means that the movement that we are part of, the church that we are part of, is a prophetic people raised up by Jesus himself based on the message of the book of Daniel that we've been studying these last three weeks. And when we understand the prophetic message in the book of Daniel, we will see that we have a prophetic identity that drives our mission, that calls us to prophesy again before nations, tongues, and kings. There's more to be said, but I will move on. Daniel chapter 12. Now let's read verses 8 through 10. Daniel chapter 12. Verses 8 through 10. Here we read. 
And Daniel says, And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? So Daniel's still having a hard time understanding, you know, 1260 years and people being scattered. Not sure I'm getting this. So now God says, okay, I'm going to explain this to you again one more time with some additional information. Verse 9, and he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. So again, there we see the book of Daniel is sealed till the time of the end. Verse 10, many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So notice, the wise will understand. They will be purified, made white, and tried. Now, here's the thing. The wise would begin to understand the book of Daniel in a special way after 1798. But let me tell you something about history. Martin Luther, one of the great Protestant reformers, could give you a very good Bible study on Daniel chapter 7. He could tell you what the lion meant. The bear, the leopard with the four heads, the four divisions of Greece, and the dreadful beast, which was Rome. And he could tell you that the little horn was the Antichrist power of papal Rome. So did something go wrong when God said nobody would understand the book of Daniel until 1798? That's not what it's talking about. Because some of the things are so clearly understood, there's no way that you could miss what the Bible was saying if you just simply got out and studied the Bible. And that's why the Catholic Church tried to keep the Bible from the people. They said only the priests could understand it. Because they knew if the common people who could read, if they just read what the Bible said, they would clearly identify who the little horn Antichrist power was. But as I mentioned, when it talks about the wise understanding, the part of the book of Daniel that was sealed till the time of the end, Daniel chapter 8 shows that the vision of the 2300 days was for the time of the end, and in verse 26, it was to be shut up for many days. So the 2300 days was clearly sealed till the time of the end. And when you look at the vision of Daniel chapter 11, we saw in Daniel chapter 10 that the vision of Daniel 11 is to explain in greater detail what will take place at the end of the 2300 days. So when God tells Daniel, shut up the book and seal it till the time of the end, the vision of Daniel 11 was there especially the last few verses, to explain in greater detail how God would develop the cleansed sanctuary in heaven. So when you read Daniel 12 and it says that the book of Daniel will be sealed to the time of the end, there's just some parts that are too easy to understand where, where Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. People in the 1500s could have easily understood Babylon is the head of gold. And you read Daniel 5, oh yes, Medo-Persia took over after Babylon. And then Daniel 8, Greece took over after Medo-Persia. It's not like something magical happened in 1798 to where you couldn't understand the simple reading of what the Bible said. Those sequence of kingdoms could be understood before 1798, but the portion of the prophecy that was sealed till 1798 specifically was the vision of the 2300 days, and the wise would understand that prophecy. Now, the Millerites understood it to a certain point. They, they were able to determine the exact date. But what I want to focus on are the wise who will understand this just before Jesus comes. Because as they understand it, we see that they will be purified and made white and tried. So they will study the prophecy of the 2300 days, which says, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And they will remember, hey, as Jesus is cleansing the sanctuary in heaven, we are to be cleansed in our hearts here on this earth. Therefore, as Christ cleanses the sanctuary in heaven, they will be purified 
purified in their lives. The sin will be removed. We will allow God to remove the sin from our lives and he will be able to make us white. Notice it says they are made white. They are made righteous. They are not simply declared righteous. They are declared righteous, but they are also made white and made righteous and they are tried. They pass through the experience of the patience of the saints. And then there's the wicked who do wickedly and they will not understand. So we see that there will be a group of people who will be wise, who will understand, who will be made white and tried and will be purified. And it is those people, the wise, who understand, who are purified, made white and tried, who will be the wise, who, who in verse 3, shine as the brightness of the firmament. They give the loud cry message because they've understood the message of the cleansing of the sanctuary that Christ is working in heaven to develop a righteous people with his character. They allow Christ to cleanse them and he then empowers them to give a message that will lighten the earth with its glory. So we want to be the wise who understand. Amen. The last three verses Daniel chapter 12, verses 11 through 13. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. But go thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. Now, again, some people, they try to read Daniel 11 and 12 chronologically, and they say, well, this... These, the 1290 and the 1335 must be literal days that happen when the final abomination is set up and, and you know, we can figure out how many days it will be till Jesus comes once that happens. But again, this is a re-explanation and a summary of the key points so that Daniel will know where in history the key starting points are for these prophecies that take you to the time of the end and to the blessing of those who come to the end of the 1335. And the starting point is from the time that the daily is taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up. Now, I don't want to get too bogged down on detail, but the time that the daily is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, that's mentioned in Daniel 11.31. It's the same vision. Daniel hasn't suddenly shifted to a new vision in time. He's still, from Daniel 10 to the end of chapter 12, he's still in vision, and now Christ is explaining even further what's happening. And Christ says, remember when I talked about the daily being taken away and the abomination of desolation being set up when the king of the north would shift from a political power to a religious political power. From that time, there's 1,290 years, 1,290 days. And it was in 508, Daniel 11:31, that Clovis, the king of the Franks, Franks developed a church-state union with papal Rome and drove out the remaining pagan nations. That was 508. So if you go 1,290 years from 508, that takes you to 1798, just as the 1260 go from 538 to 1798. So that gives us further information. And then the, the 1,335 days, if you start in 508, that takes you to 1843. Now, what is the blessing of those who would come to the, 13, the, to the end of the 1,335? It was a special blessing for all those who would be alive during the proclamation of the 2,300-day message that Jesus would come about the year 1843, and then they transferred it to 1844. But even in this very prophecy is a prediction of the, of the miscalculation of the prophecy and of the disappointment. But God said there would be a special blessing for those who would take part in that movement. And not only that, there is a special blessing for us alive today after 1843 as we live at the very end of the prophecies of this book. There is a special blessing. Now some try to reapply these as literal days that will be fulfilled in the future. Let me just show you a statement from Ellen White. This is Manuscript Releases, Volume 6, page 251. 
She says, Brother Hewitt from Dead River was there. He came with a message to the effect that the destruction of the wicked and the sleep of the dead was an abomination within a shut door that a woman Jezebel, a prophetess, had brought, had brought in, and he believed that I was that woman Jezebel. And notice what she says. We told him of some of his errors in the past and that the 1335 days were ended and numerous errors of his. So what she's saying here is that the 1335 days were ended and apparently he was saying they weren't ended. So the 1335 days ended in 1843 and those who try to reapply them into the future are getting into dangerous ground. The wise shall understand. As we wrap up here, God promised to raise up a group of wise people after 1798 who would understand the sealed portion of the book of Daniel that had been sealed to that time. As it became unsealed, they would be the wise who would understand. And incidentally, in the parable of the virgins, five are wise, five are foolish. The five who are wise are the ones who will allow their lives to be cleansed by the power of God. And when the cry goes out, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. They will have the extra oil in their lamps. They will be wise because they allow the message in Daniel to bring purification and cleansing to their hearts and lives. The 2300 days was sealed till this time and the information in Daniel 11, especially the last five verses, and Daniel 12 unlocked further information about the 2300 days, specifically Michael standing up when probation closes, when he has developed a group of people who have been cleansed. And that happens in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. God raised up the second advent movement to produce the wise who would understand. We are the people that God has raised up to understand the prophecies of this book. And this book of Daniel obviously connects to the book of Revelation. They go together hand in hand. And in the book of Revelation, we also see the importance of the proclamation of the three angels' messages that announce that the hour of God's judgment has begun in heaven and that we are to fear God and to give glory to Him, to worship Him, to remember Him as our Creator by worshiping Him on the seventh day of the week, to come out of Babylon, to not receive the mark of the beast, and to keep the commandments of God, have the patience of the saints and the faith of Jesus. God has raised us up to do a special work at this time. We have the privilege of all people who have ever lived to be part of this special work. Those who are wise will understand and will shine as the brightness of the firmament and shine as the stars forever and ever. Seventh-day Adventists who understand the message of Daniel will see that it is the hour of God's judgment and of the cleansing of the sanctuary. They, and hopefully we, will be purified. As we are purified, my prayer is that we will give the loud cry message, that we will receive the blessing that awaits those who give this message sometime after 1843. And God wants us to be the ones. You see, there's a lot of things that we could be involved with here on this earth. We could get focused on our jobs and our careers, or even our children or our grandchildren, or the cares of this life, or perhaps even the entertainment that the world has to offer us. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves thinking and caring so much about the things of this world that we lose concern for things of eternity. But when we study the prophecies, we see that God has shown us that between 1844 to the second coming is the most important time in the history of this earth, in addition to what Jesus did on the cross. And that it is during that period of time that God prepares a people for the coming of Jesus in the clouds so that we can be ready when he comes. And that is our mission in life. Our mission in life is not to be as successful as we can here on this earth just to be successful. If we rightly represent God the way Daniel did and are successful the way Daniel was, praise the Lord. But if we lose sight of God and focus on this earth, we've lost 
our understanding of our identity and our mission as our people. And our identity is that we are a prophetic people, raised up by God to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. And our mission is to proclaim that message to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And God is giving us signs in the world around us that he is coming soon. So I pray that as we have gone through this message in the book of Daniel for these last three weeks, that it has provided an awakening for this church, for the, each member of this church. I pray for myself as well, that it's provided an awakening for me, because Jesus is coming soon, and he wants us to be ready to meet him. So as I close, if you've been convicted that God has a special work for you to do that perhaps you haven't been doing to the fullest extent that you could have been doing. You see that God has raised us up to proclaim a message of the judgment hour, of the soon coming of Jesus, of the three angels' messages, and that we are at the very edge of eternity. And you realize, you know what, maybe I've been too focused on the things of this world. I want to make sure that from this day forward, my life will be fully dedicated to the work of God in these last days to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord, which is to support the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And you want to take a stand today to say, I will be part of this work and do everything I can for the rest of my life to be part of this work. I would invite you to stand with me at this time as we have a special closing prayer. You want to be part of God's last day work. And that may involve going back and studying these, these messages again from Daniel and Revelation. But God is, is doing a special work. He's moving across this world to prepare his people for that last message that will lighten the earth with his glory. So let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your blessings to us. I thank you for the privilege we've had these last three weeks to go through the 12 chapters of the book of Daniel. We thank you for the message that God is our judge. We thank you for the example of Daniel and his friends who show us how to live in the judgment hour. We thank you for the truthfulness of prophecy and the accuracy of it, how it has shown in such detail just where we are at this point in earth's history. And as we see just how close your coming is, Lord, I pray that we would surrender everything in our lives. Forgive us for where we have allowed the cares of this life, the things of this world to cloud our minds and to cause us to lose sight of the fact that we are here in this world as Seventh-day Adventists to give a message to this world. It's not just for the pastor to do, it's for each one of us to share this message with the world around us that Jesus is coming soon. So I thank you for each person who is standing here today and may we be faithful and I pray that Jesus would come soon and again bless the decisions that have been made today. May we be faithful to that. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.